0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There's a lot going on in the world of COVID-19 and uh, the pandemic, and many questions have been raised, particularly in the last few days. And uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh is good enough to be back with us on the program. Um, infectious Diseases Specialist at Toronto General Hospital, also Professor at the University of of Toronto School of Medicine. Dr. Bogosh, thank you so much for the time. I really don't know where to start, so let me just grab the most recent news story, and that has to do with the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force. And the the story, just a few lines from the story, thousands of blood samples for COVID-19 antibodies uh, should be able to produce a more detailed picture of how many Canadians have been infected with a novel coronavirus within a couple of weeks. It'll be much longer, however, before we know more about what kind of protection against future infection. Having the antibodies provides, this according to Dr. Timothy Evans, who's the executive director of the Immunity Task Force Plus, says Dr. Evans, most of the people whose blood is being tested will not be informed of the results because of how the blood is being collected for testing. Can you explain all of that to us in layman's terminology?
1: <laughs> sure, let's put this into English. So first of all, hello, great to talk you. Thanks for, bad, thanks for having me. Hello. On. <laughs> and, uh, and let's jump in. I love it. Uh, yeah, this is a really, this immunity task force is going to be fantastic. I really think that they're, uh, you know, if they do what they say they're going to do, they're really going to answer a lot of these big questions that we have in Canada namely, what, how many people have been infected with COVID 19? Where are they? And how is this changing through time? And then harnessing this information to understanding if, how, to what extent and for how long people can be immune to this infection after they've recovered, and perhaps harnessing this information to help develop vaccinations. That's a huge, huge task, but the, the the starting point is, hey, let's go see who's had exposure to this virus and has and have recovered. So hopefully in the coming, hopefully short weeks, we'll hear about a representative sample of Canadians, thousands and thousands of tests that were done, and just, hearing about the proportion of people that had evidence of past infection, I think that would be very helpful because on the one hand, we have our official numbers. On the other hand, these serology tests will give us uh, probably a much, I would say, you know, a much larger uh, uh, not of value. I mean, more pe- clearly there's more people that were infected than, than what our official numbers suggest. And, and the serology will help answer those questions.
0: Are we on this 5th of July, if I can just cast back to january and february when we first really started to become deeply concerned about uh, about covid so what do we now About well, four months four and a half months uh are, are we where you would have thought we might be as the situation first began to unravel
1: yeah i'm cautiously optimistic at where we are right now i mean i know you hear a lot of doom and gloom and the canadian news now and again but like when you step back and think about it you just said you know in the country of 38 million people we have anywhere from between 200 to 400 new cases per day of course that's not perfect of course it was hard to get here we had several fiascos along the way including the long-term care fiasco which was just a tragedy but where we're at now is pretty darn good uh, we have to stay vigilant. It's not over yet. If we keep let our guard down, it's going to come roaring back. But 200 to 400 new cases per day in a country of 38 million—that's that's something to be proud of. I think we're doing really well.
0: Not so much on the other side of the border.
1: Uh, it's disgusting. It's absolutely awful to watch. What's more disgusting about this, or the most disgusting part about this, is that it's this is largely preventable. Like this didn't need to happen with good leadership, with good planning, with good public health uh, advice, with adherence to that advice, this could have largely been avoided. Sure, there would have been a lot of cases, but a fraction of what we're seeing. And all this does is translate into preventable lives lost. There's just going to be a lot of deaths that were completely preventable. It's really upsetting.
0: Um. a lot of talk about second wave in fact i've heard people say what's happening in the united states now is the second wave and I, I don't think so not in july but there's the south korean government is saying that they are now experiencing their second wave of infection if that is so what do we learn from this what can we learn that would help us
1: if this is really south korea's second wave then this is also a lesson on how to manage a second wave. Because uh, they are really still doing a good job. They're having a little bit more, uh, a, a few cases uh, per day. It's usually measured in the less than 100, like in the 50 to 80 new cases per day. And before they were down in the teens for new cases per day, even a little bit lower than that. So if this is their second wave, kudos to them because they're managing it really well. And uh, there's certain strategies. They have good buy-in to their public health measures. They have good public health measures. They have good, uh, actually, almost second to none, contact tracing, uh, phenomenal access to diagnostic testing, great public health and clinical care there. They're in good shape. I hope, obviously, that if this is the worst it's going to get, good for them because they're managing it beautifully.
0: Dr. Bogosh, one of the, uh, the medicines one of the uh, drugs that has been in the news a great deal, good, bad, good, bad, hydroxychloroquine. And uh, yesterday I spoke on this program with Peter Pitts, Professor Peter Pitts, former Associate Commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration in uh, in the United States, visiting professor at uh, the University of Paris School of Medicine. We talked about a number of things, uh, but we did talk about the Henry Ford Health System, the retrospective study of some 2,541 people, which was released, I think it was Thursday, and yeah. makes the case that hydroxychloroquine, if properly and early enough prescribed... Can cut the death rate of adult COVID-19 patients by 50%. Patients with underlying conditions like heart health issues were not given the hydro. Um, here we go again. Hydroxychloroquine. I know. I can't do it. This That's is. Hard. Yeah, you six-syllable words. It's not fair to throw that at a guy like me. <laughs> I have trouble with two. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> Hydroxychloroquine uh, was not given to people with underlying heart conditions, which has raised some concerns with researchers arguing the decision would affect the results of the study. Professor Pitt said, nonsense, we're not looking for, for uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, we're not looking for accurate uh, to the decimal point information here. We're looking to get some uh, leg up on the pandemic. What do you make of what the Ford, uh, Henry Ford Health System came up with?
1: So a couple of things. One is that let's just erase all politicization from this conversation. I know that in at least in the United States, it sort of devolved into if you're a Republican, hydroxychloroquine works, and if you're a Democrat, it doesn't. Like, let's just forget that right here. This is Canada. Let's treat it in a Canadian way, and let's just be ob- objective and fair. So that's point one. Point two is data is not all created equally. And while we hear that this is a large study with thousands of patients and positive results, it's extremely important to recognize that data is one thing, and then the quality of the data is another thing. So let's just dive in just for a second a little bit deeper. This is a retrospective study, meaning they just collected a bunch of data and then said, hey, who was on Uh, hydroxychloroquine, who wasn't on hydroxychloroquine. And when you look at this data retrospectively, uh, they found that this perhaps had a survival benefit. Now, just to sort of take a quick aside, (laughs) I don't think anyone listening, myself included, would say that we didn't want this drug to work. Of course, we want this drug to work. We're looking for a win. We need a win. Everyone would want this drug to work. I think when we're having a conversation two years from now, I hope we are able to do so. But when we're talking two years from now, we're saying, hey, remember that hydroxychloroquine saga? I think we're going to look back on that and say it didn't do anything. It was not effective. And and here's why I'm saying that. When we look at the quality of this data, the fact that many people on hydroxychloroquine were also taking steroids, which we know now from other data can improve survival in COVID-19, when we look at prospective data, a prospective study with thousands of people that was stopped because hydroxychloroquine was not deemed to be effective, I think we're going to find out at the end of the day that this drug is not going to be effective in treating mild, moderate, or severe COVID-19. I suspect okay. that's the direction we're headed in. Um, there is there,
0: isn't there a there there's, isn't there a major study going to be taking place in the UK about this as well? Like a, a well, university a study? study?
1: Recently stopped uh, globally. Yeah, I realize that. Realized that buddy. Right in the UK, yeah, exactly. That was, yeah, they were was talking, so talking about
0: another one coming up in a matter of days, I think.
1: Uh, I'm not sure I know the one you're referring to, but I know that there's been several that have either yeah. stopped recruiting uh, because they're just not showing any benefit of the drug. And they also have thousands of patients and they're better designed studies, meaning they're prospective studies, not retrospective studies. They're randomized studies, meaning you got every opportunity to get the study drug or the not study or, or other drugs. Like they're much better designed studies. So the quality of the data is just far better. I think it's, I think people are hanging on this. We got the drug early, and honestly, like, look, let's. the data will show what the data shows. But I think at the end of the day, when the dust settles, we're going to look back on this. And un- unfortunately, the key is unfortunately, because we want it to work. But I think we're well, going to work. say yeah. that it, 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 yeah. it, it's just not going to do anything. And better we know now than just keep punting down the field. Because, like, if this isn't going to work, fine, let's focus our time, money, and energy on something that does.
0: Yeah. Dr. Bogos, just before we go to the calls, let me just ask you a couple of questions really quickly here. What do you make of the uh, the news stories that another virus originating in China that uh, might be pig-related may pose a pandemic threat? That's got a lot of people concerned.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple things. So this is a a variant of the H1N1 virus. We all know H1N1 is influenza. This is sort of a, a tweak to that virus, but it's such a tweak that there's probably little human immunity to it. So if it does get into humans, which it's been, it's, it's not affected humans since at least 2016, not that many, but if it, if it changes in such a way that there's more easy transmission between humans, they say it's got pandemic potential. Here's what, here's what the takeaway point. There's viruses that we know of with pandemic potential, and sadly, those are the tip of the iceberg. Then there's all the other ones with pandemic potential that we have no idea, and they're lurking somewhere. So not to obviously I'm not here to be a fearmonger or whatsoever, but like this is not a matter of if it's a matter of when we're gonna have another pandemic. And we're you know, annoying to talk about it while we're in the midst of one, but it it, it's gonna happen again. It's gonna happen again. We need early detection systems and coordinated global efforts so that we avoid the mess that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, we better learn from this one. Oh yeah. Uh, Brian in Windsor, Ontario, Brian, go ahead for Doctor Bogash. Hello Doctor, how are you
1: doing? Oh, I'm good, you?
0: But, uh, I got a question there, with the upcoming flu season there, and uh, coming up this fall, I don't, know, I don't know what flu they're expecting out, because I know it goes from
1: hemisphere to hemisphere. Uh, would it offer any protection when you had the flu
0: shot? Uh, would it offer any protection in spite of the, the coronavirus? Okay, Brian, thank you for the call. I'm going to hang up on you, listen off the air. So would the flu shot help, Dr. Bogosh, the regular yeah, flu it's, shot?
1: It's not. It's going to. It's not going to protect you against COVID-19. It will protect you against the flu, which will likely, which will not likely, which will certainly be co-circulating uh, and at the exact same time. You don't want to have a one-two punch. The so flu is already going to be able to knock you on your butt. The flu shot, while not perfect, is still the best we've got. Uh, and it's recommended that almost like, almost everyone should get this. You know, there's going to be a handful of exceptions, but almost everyone should get this. Get your flu shot. If you're skeptical about getting your flu shot, if you're hesitant about getting your flu shot, and this is the year to definitely get your flu shot. Like, it's a no-brainer this year.
0: All right. Let me ask you that question about masks. If you have a paper mask, even if it's, a, it's N95 or some other variant, and you're wearing it's the only mask you have, or maybe you have two. When can you safely reuse it, wear it a second time?
1: Yeah, if you're really careful about uh, taking it on and putting it on, uh, like putting it on and taking it off properly, you can reuse it throughout the day. Just make sure you're not touching the mask, like touch the sides of it. You know, wash your hands before you put it on. Wash your hands when you take it off. Touch just the straps and not the the other components of the mask, and you can safely put it on and take it off throughout the day. Uh, but if you're a great situation would be if you have two masks, you can wear one one day and then uh, wear uh, the other the other day and, right. and swap between them. That's a pretty safe
0: option. Too. Well, I found out what those little levers on the side of my steering column are for. One, you know, the one that usually does the lights <laughs> and the other one that does the wipers, they're actually there to hang masks on.
1: That's brilliant. You should patent that.
0: So the left side is even days and the right side is odd days on the calendar. I love it. I yeah. love it. I just have uh, like a
1: handful in my glove compartment that are just rotting away in there in 40 degree humid heat. But that's uh, that's another story.
0: Well, unfortunately, our story is the clock goddess as usual. Um, and I had so many more questions for you. So you know what that means.
1: Let's chat next week.
0: Exactly. Dr. Bogosh, I I love our conversations. They make us all feel better. Thanks so much for that.
1: Anytime. Have a great week.
0: You too. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.